beat is thumping. My heart is pumping. I'm ready to go wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks who speak, getting excited, making your voice heard this November in our election. Are you ready? Are you making a plan to vote? Are you voting early? If you're voting early, if you're voting for the first time ever this year, if you've made a plan, send me an email. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to know if you're, if this is the first time you've ever voted, I'd love to know dlcfeedback at gmail.com. If this is not the first time, please still get out there. We're going to be with you in your ear holes, motivating you. And this is DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors, Third Love and Cashfly. They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who is here tonight despite his beloved Dodgers potentially losing the World Series as we speak. As we speak, ladies and gentlemen, Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, and we do this far too often. Um, but um, thoughts, condolences, our hearts break for the lives lost and the families torn apart in Pittsburgh this past week because of senseless violence that we are not doing enough to curb. Um. Yeah, at, uh, yeah, it gotta uh, vote. We got to vote. We got to vote. It's it's time. We can make our voice heard. We can if you know, we can vote. We can really affect change. Uh, that's the only power we have. And yeah, you know, it's our uh, it seems like weekly we do a show about games with guns and uh, the real world makes it hard sometimes, but we persevere and we still have fun and we have to, uh, you know, we have to stay somewhat positive uh in the world <laughs> somehow uh but the good news is there's a lot to be positive about in the world of games this week we are we are in the thick of it this is uh it's red dead redemption 2 week so we're going to talk a lot of red dead redemption 2 we got news and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know the dlc is always your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week oh man i'm so excited because once again dlc stands for delivering lots of columns because we have one of my favorite writers, the deputy news editor at polygon.com. Allegra Frank is back with us. Hey, Allegra. Hey, I like the, uh, <laughs> delivering lots of columns. I like being called a columnist. It's funny. You are. Yes, indeed. I read your columns. Uh, you're one of my favorite writers and I appreciate you being back with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's jump right in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, Allegra, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Who boy. Um, this was definitely a, a busy week, but one that was mostly dominated by Red Dead um, and like the anticipation of Red Dead. Um, so definitely for me, what stood out the most was all this rock star talk. 
that was that's the big continuing story, I think. Um, Indeed, yeah, yeah, of sort of the conversation around crunch and uh, the quote unquote hundred hour work week over there. So that continues to be my story of the like last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly has been here. We've talked a lot about it on the show, and it, and it has continued to evolve more. Employees at Rockstar have spoken out and spoken up about uh, questionable practices, uh, weirdness of uh, being expected to do things, uh, you know, being told that they were not welcome if, if uh, you know, certain uh, above and beyond kind of expectations weren't met. What is your take on this whole thing? I mean, we've had, I, I have spoken out uh, a lot on the show about my desire to see the games industry unionized. And I think uh, this is a, a, just one in a number of stories that proves that that I think uh, is is needed in this space. But what's your take? I mean, is there part of you that uh, feels a little um, conflicted about promoting this game in light of what we know about those big business practices? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I believe in like considering the totality of a thing when we're sort of analyzing it and addressing it. And in the case of a game so big and so monumental as Red Dead and coming from such a major studio, I mean, this is Rockstar's first new release in such a long time. It's really hard to divorce the two, right? It's really hard to sort of look at this project that's so grand in scope and not think about the behind the scenes part of it that we're, we're, being told about now, um, especially because that's such a rare thing to hear from Rockstar directly about sort of the, the working conditions and how this has sort of evolved really points to how unique of a situation this is. And it definitely, for me, my reporting has mostly been from that perspective, from that angle of like, yeah, there's something going on over there. But of course, like we're all still here for the pony game. Like I'm still very excited <laughs> for the pony yeah. game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely something we've seen in other industries as well. And when it comes to games, it's still just as tough to kind of figure out how to navigate. Like this is a really fun game and I'm really excited about it, but also the thing that, or the process behind making that game was something that I am not excited or happy about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we had talked about it on the weeks leading up, to the release, uh, lots of discussion uh, about it, but now here we are where the rubber meets the road, right? The game actually came out on Friday and I know I got a lot of tweets and emails from people asking me if, uh, you know, they should, or I would plan to boycott the game or, you know, not want to throw money at a company that makes a heck of a lot of money. But, uh, in light of, of, what we know, if that was a, a principled stand that was worthwhile, um, I mean, you may not be in a position to speak on that as a, you know, a journalist in the space, but is, is that something that you've thought about in regards to what, or are you sort of just letting your readers make that decision? Um, I mean, I've definitely, it's hard for me to advocate either way. Like I'm never the kind of person who's going to necessarily say buy the thing or don't buy the thing. Um, but I will say I've also seen a lot of commentary from people of like, I'm going to cancel my pre-order or I'm not going to buy it anymore. But I, I always think, I don't know, everyone's so <laughs> quick to react that, um, 
those sort of performative stances against like a thing that we're not happy about. Like I always wonder, I don't know, like how many people are, you know, getting rid of their pre-orders or how many people won't be buying the game. It's really hard to know because we don't get to see that sales information. So I'm just in the dark. Like, I don't know what happens when people say that they're doing these things or if they're actually doing them. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think I think a lot of it is performative. Uh, and there's a whole discussion on the psychology of social media with regard to that that we won't get into. But I, from my own part, uh, I did purchase the game. Uh, I think, Christian, you purchased the game as well. Uh, neither of us got codes. And um, it, my thoughts on this, this particular issue, are that uh, I will advocate for and support unionization in the video game space. That's that's what I think is uh, the smartest solution here from my perspective. But also, I don't work in the video game industry per se, right? I, I, I discuss it and talk about it, but I don't – I'm not a developer, and I think it's their their place to do this or not. And I will support it in any way I can. But you know, if if these practices are are hurting them, are uh, objectionable to them, I think the best I can do is voice my support and saying, "Hey, I'll pay a little extra for games. I'll wait a little longer for games. If you guys want to band together and say, "Hey, we'd like to," you know negotiate our way out of this kind of situation. But I'm also, but I don't think it's my place to say, I'm not going to buy your game because I feel bad, uh, you know, emotionally for something that didn't happen to me. It just feels like an odd stance to take. And, and as you said, sort of performative. I don't know. There's a, there's a moment there, Jeff. I'm not trying to like paint you into a corner, but it, it's, I think where you're going is kind of the artist and the art. I think there is a point where you don't support the product because of the things that the person or people did, um, whatever that may be. And, and here it seems like it's the higher ups. I think it was Eurogamer had another article about it this past week, um, kind of things going back to old GTAs and stuff like that and the pressure. And I think a person in their 30s had a stroke, um, but then came back because they needed to keep working. Um, but at some point, I think it is like it. I don't know what your line is. I don't know what my line is. I did buy this game. Um, but I think there is a line at some point where it's like, no, these conditions are totally inhumane and I can't support this. That being said, I would argue that most of us uh, on this show and listening to this show at some level are hypocrites and owning an iPhone or an Android. Like there are horrible work practices throughout the world and a bunch of things. And I don't know where you listener draw your line and, and how you support things or how you don't. And, um, and I'm not here to tell you to do it one way or the other, but I do think we all have a line. Should we spend the time to think about it? Fair, but I, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't know if that action is useful here. And I, I don't know if it's my place. I don't know if it's my place to, to step in for the worker. I feel like, uh, you know, their role is to, to figure it out, right. Their role is to band together. And, and this is not, you know, sort of slave labor, even if perhaps they're being treated as such, they have the ability to collectively bargain. And I think that I hope that that happens, but I can't make it happen. And my not purchasing or purchasing a game isn't going to help it either way. Um, so that's just, that's my perspective. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll, we'll get some, some, uh, 
smart emails about this that'll that'll educate me. But uh, uh, either way, it's it's a fascinating story, and it's indicative of, of more than just Rockstar, right? Rockstar is just uh, one example of of where this happens constantly in the industry, which is I think why it's much more a broad problem that needs to be addressed as a broad problem, as an industry wide issue. And I hope that uh, maybe the publicity about this, maybe the all everybody talking about it, will lead to some sort of action on behalf of the uh, employees. But I think it's so interesting about this particular story is that Rockstar was notorious, uh, for, you know, for their social media policy, which they since opened up, but how tight-lipped of a company they were. And this whole thing broke because Dan Hauser said it. Imagine if someone else had said it, how fired they'd be right now, right? If you started this much of a brouhaha about your company and, and how it's such a horrible place to work and all these articles coming out discussing it and launching into this conversation, conversations like it on you know every major video game podcast out there. Um, I, I wonder if anyone else at the company, his peers, have, have talked to him about, you know, uh, PR training again or something like that and reining this stuff in. Because I think it's fascinating that this all started because someone at the top said something that I, I'm sure they wish they hadn't. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Oh, there's a bunch of good stuff this week. And I'm torn between two stories, Jeff, and I bet you can guess which two they are. Um but what I want to talk about, because it's we'll, we'll have the answer soon enough, I think, after we go to Mexico City. We, not you and I, but the gaming world as a whole. Uh, right now, the rumor is that Xbox, or not rumor, I guess it's confirmed, Game Pass is coming to PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have all of the details yet, but it is going to be expanded to officially include PC. That already works for Microsoft um, Game Pass games. Like, I can play Forza and see if the... Published games, yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, yes, Microsoft published games. Um but all the other games aren't on it. A lot of those games aren't on PC. Maybe there's some cloud workaround. I don't know. My my imagination is going wild here. But as someone who is a new subscriber to Game Game Pass and and has been enjoying it uh, quite a bit, uh, if this adds more value and and, and helpfully brings in more people to the service, uh, I think this is a good thing. I think this is a, a win for gamers, but I'm curious if I'm missing something because of my <laughs> I paid a hundred dollars colored glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just uh, catch people up just to be clear. What happened was uh, there was a, an, an earnings call for Microsoft where Satya Nadella said uh, that in 2019, the Microsoft or the Xbox game pass service will be fully expanded to officially include PC. We don't know exactly what that means because as Christian mentioned, the games published by Microsoft, your Forzas, your Seas uh, of Thieves, uh, those already work on PC uh, through Game Pass. So the hundred or so games that are on Game Pass at any given time, as Christian re- referenced, aren't all PC games. So what does this even mean? Uh, Allegra, do you have any insight as to what this even means? <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I probably am just as, just as baffled as you guys, uh, as not a big Xbox or PC person. Um, but I, one thing I do find fascinating is that Microsoft is continuing to sort of, I don't want to say deplatform, but we're still seeing, we're seeing a lot of like moving away from like the Xbox is like the specific hardware, right? Like we're seeing this sort of expansion of like the Xbox as, 
It's just a brand. A brand. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. A brand that's sort of all consuming. And no, you don't have to be tied to the hardware in order to engage with it, which I think is an interesting play by Microsoft that seems sort of like counter to Nintendo, which is obviously very much like you have to get our hardware for this. And then Sony, which doesn't really need to convince people to like check out its stuff like the PS4 is doing well. And with the Xbox One, I mean, obviously people are big Xbox fans and it's doing, it's doing fine. Like there's no reason to worry, but it, I think this is a way that Microsoft is really able to differentiate themselves more so than Nintendo and Sony being that like they are the PC makers. They're the right. big guys in PC and they have the Xbox. Yeah. Christian, you, you see this as a, a huge positive for Microsoft if they're able to sort of, you know, open the umbrella wider for PC gamers. And and honestly, this is, I think, a play to get people onto the uh, Windows platform. What what is they what do they call it now? The garbage? <laughs> no, that's what they used to call it. I think it's still garbage. To, it's still trying really to rebrand bad. The Xbox Game Store or whatever. Yeah. It's not great. At least it, let me rephrase. It was not great when Forza 4 came out and I and many others had a very difficult time getting it to work. Um, I I think this is good because this is my tinfoil hat. I think this is a step in Scarlet and or whatever their cloud streaming ability where everything is going to be a service. And if they bring Game Pass over to PC and you have some streaming ability to play things anywhere, then all of those other Game Pass games become available on your PC or on anything. And it's this... Now, all of this stuff is available no matter what platform you're using it on, how you're engaging with it, whatever you're doing with it. And I think it's a positive step in that direction. Uh, if it's not that and it's just Game Pass coming to PC in some official capacity, I still think that's a good thing. I don't think it's going to drive the numbers up substantially uh, in a big way. I just That's redundant. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I do see it as a positive because it shows her investing in it still and, and kind of doubling down on that effort. But I don't know how many gamers there are that are you know, don't own an Xbox, are PC gamers that are holding out or subscribe to something like this. Probably a handful, but I don't think it turns the tide in, you know, for Microsoft in any significant way. But I think it's good regardless of of what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just another example of us moving toward the future that you've always wanted, Christian, which is this this Netflix for video games. Oh, not the Red Sox as world champions? I've been a Red Sox fan. Oh, I love the Red Sox. Uh, the last 15 minutes? Christian, even... no. <laughs> no. I hate the Red Sox. I'm just trying to be a bandwagoner. They're the best, <laughs> man. Price, baby. Has the game ended officially? Will you give us an update when the game has officially ended? Yeah, I mean, it officially ended a long time ago, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it ended at the top of the sixth. What are you doing? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I think this is really cool. And I think that we are, you know, maybe it hints more at, at kind of how this pricing is all going to work. And, uh, Microsoft seems to want to sell you a subscription to games. And, uh, if they can get more games on more devices, you know, and, and have this universal streaming service, it's all sort of just like, it's like a big Tetris board right now. And there's a bunch of pieces falling and we're not exactly sure where they're going to land. Are we going to, they're going to all fit really nicely into place and, and eliminate some rows. Are we going to have some odd <laughs> pieces sticking up out of, out of, out of you know, somewhere and, and making things more difficult for everyone. Um, so it remains to be seen, but I, I'm still skeptical that we'll hear about it uh, at the uh, event in Mexico, but Christian has made that prediction. So I'm sure he'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th- I think, I guess the story that you wanted, you were struggling with Christian to maybe be your story of the week was uh 
various Resident Evil coming to Switch. Is oh, that- I was going to talk about another item that I pre-ordered and then canceled. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got. I actually saw Allegra wrote an article on Polygon about this. Uh, Resident Evil Z- Resident Evil Resident Evil Zero and Resident Evil Four are coming to Switch in 2019. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I think Resident Evil Four, but you know, before before Skyrim. Resident Evil 4 was the game that everybody joked was on everything, you know, like on mm-hmm. toasters. And now Skyrim has sort of usurped that that role. But I guess Resident Evil 4, make it a play to come back and re- regain its <laughs> title. Uh, what do you think about this, Allegra? More Resident Evil on Switch is is got to be a good thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm super pro everything on Switch. I'm one of those people. Um, so I think this is super smart. I think... Yeah, like I was when I was doing the article, I, I was like, "Wait, isn't Resident Evil Four like how many consoles is this thing on?" It's literally on a thing called the Zebo that I had never even heard of. Like, literally, <laughs> it's on that many consoles. But uh, I, I'm really um, more Zebo games coming soon because my my Zebo is getting a lot of dust on it in the corner. I'm so glad that my favorite Zebo games are finally playable on Switch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but. I am only kind of recently getting into horror games um, because I finally grew out of my big fat baby stage. Uh, (laughs) I'm still in mine. Yeah. I mean, no judgment. So Resident Evil 7 is fantastic. And I've been playing Resident Evil Zero um, HD on PS4. And it's one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen in my life. So the idea of having those on Switch portably is super exciting, I think, for people like me and then also maybe other people who sort of joined in on the bandwagon with Resident Evil seven, but it doesn't even matter if like, we've all played these games 80 billion times. Like, yo, it's on switch. You can play it in your bed. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Christian, you're a big, yo, it's on switch guy, right? Yeah. I love switch. I love resident evil four. I can't say I'll buy these, but I'm excited. It's, it's weird, right? It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of the perfect analogy, which I know I won't think of, but it's like when you see one of your favorite things of the past come to your favorite thing of the present and you're just like, oh, yeah, I knew you guys would be friends. Wow. My best friend from uh, elementary school is now my best friend, friends with my best friend from college. You guys are getting married. <laughs> Perfect. I get to see both of you. It's like that. Like, I won't hang out with them that much, but I'm so glad they're becoming friends. It's such a such a good feeling to see them come together. I am curious and I didn't see if these are are these the beautiful versions of resident evil and resident evil zero or are these the gamecube still beautiful but not as beautiful as the more beautiful version of them (laughs) i don't think they were specific but i think the assumption is that these are going to be like you know on par with the ones on ps4 and xbox oh yeah it's great or ps4 at least yeah yeah Yo, it's on Switch. I think I like that. They they gotta pay you for that trademark. That's pretty good. We're in talks. <laughs> That's real good. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention: this is firmly in the rumor category, but I thought it'd be fun to just bandy it about a bit. Uh, a Reddit user by the name of Anon the Nine, uh, who has broken news, Bungie related news on Reddit in the past and has been accurate, uh, has said that Destiny Three is in production. Uh, I guess, duh, I guess duh would be, although, you know, you never know because it could turn into a game as service and who knows if, maybe that's part of what we'll talk about is whether a numbered sequel is the right move for Destiny. But uh, some interesting details. Uh, There is obviously no target release year yet. So Destiny 2 still has a couple other big expansions to come. 
and uh, you know that game will be supported. But they are revving up the engines for Destiny Three, whatever that will end up being. And uh, supposedly it will take place on um, a planet that has been referenced in the universe already, blah, blah, blah. Interesting thing is it will supposedly feature a PvEVP zone. So this is player versus environment versus player. So you guys, everybody is hanging out, attacking the AI, the, the video game itself. And then other players from different factions can come in and everybody can fight everybody. So this... Reminds one of uh, something like you would find in the division, the dark zone, which was had problems at launch. Uh, evidently, the leaker s- stresses it won't be like the dark zone, so not like the dark zone. Um, but uh, the game director supposedly is Chris Barrett, not Luke Smith, although Luke Smith will have a big role. And uh, what do you guys think, I, I, Allegra? What do you think about Destiny going to another numbered sequel? First of all. And second of all, what do you think about that kind of – evidently, there will be more RPG elements and it will be more like, uh, you know, PvEVP. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I can't with this PvEVP thing. It sounds like a chemistry problem <laughs> yeah. that would, like, freak me out. And yeah, I'd Can't we reduce that it. fraction a little bit with something? <laughs> yeah, God, it needs to be divided by at least one P. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think – we're in this weird place where ongoing, you know, persistent games, that's sort of, that's sort of the thing, right? Like multiplayer games and everything has to have a persistent online component. Like obviously Fallout 76, that's going to be an online multiplayer game in a series that's, you know, been known for single player. Destiny has been an online game since the get go. Um, That's pretty much been the core, but to me, it's always like, okay, well we have, World of Warcraft, right? Like that's the biggest deal. Um, and of course they keep iterating with expansions, but there hasn't been a need to make a wow two, right? And destiny two and destiny aren't as large as that. And at, at some point for console games, obviously destiny's on PC now, but, um, for console first games, there's some wall that you hit, I guess, where it's like, okay, we have to, jump even bigger like we have to move to the next phase we can't just keep iterating on this forever but it i still just think it's kind of interesting that we need a destiny 3 when i think destiny 2 for a lot of people has improved upon the first one and also like they activision blizzard they're you know they hooked up and overwatch isn't getting an overwatch 2 right like i'm curious to see if Bungie with Destiny will ever move into a state where it's like, okay, this is the thing. We'll just keep giving you guys expansions and you'll just live on this weird space planet business and we're going to just leave it there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think having a a full-fledged sequel that sounds like it's going to have a lot of new stuff in it makes sense. But I'm just here like, I don't want to buy another game. So. Yeah, I hear you. I, and I, it's interesting. I, you make a, a great point about uh, Activision Blizzard. It, it, for some reason, the the communication doesn't cross over those two entities, right? Because Blizzard seems to have figured this out. And Activision is like, no, we'll still put out new Calls of Duty, even though uh, I guess we're doing just a, just a Battle Royale mode. And so we were just talking about this last week, right? How do you come out with another Call of Duty next year with another different new 
Battle Royale when everybody else in that space is just making a per- persistent game where all the money you've invested on power-ups and, and, and bling and cool cosmetics carries over because there's no demarcation line that says you have to buy a new boxed copy. It just keeps on a trucking. Everybody else is doing it that way. And yet Activision's like, nope, we're still in the old school. We're still doing it with a big number at the end of the, at the, mm-hmm. end of the title. And it seems like that's what's happening with Destiny as as well as with Call of Duty. It's, I, I yeah. think it's back a little backwards. I'm curious. <laughs> I'm always curious about so many things, but I'm interested in seeing um, what happens after you know this blops four over here. Um, it is a numbered sequel, obviously, but it's so different and it's so big and like there's all these very substantial modes, as you're saying, and like is there going to be a blobs five? Like I totally am with you of like, how do we keep moving forward here? Like, why do we have to keep doing this every year? Yeah. Christian. I mean, it's, I guess it's hard for these big companies with stockholders and bottom lines and, you know, uh, investor calls to say, Hey, we're going to give up on all that tasty revenue that the $60 big release then in November gets us. But, it feels like the industry is going to this place of you make a persistent game. People give a lot of money to keep going in it and you'll make lots of money by selling stuff because everybody believes it's not going away and you, you you're investing your money on your cool, you know, costume in character, your character costume, because five years from now, that's still going to be relevant. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think some of that is true. I think there are two points. One, W. Matthew have been screaming at me in the chat about it. Uh, I don't know the specifics for Destiny 2, but I do know in Destiny 1, Bungie said, you know, talked publicly about how uh, some version of their pipeline or workflow or engine didn't support them patching things and changing things as quickly as players demanded, and that that was something they were going to improve in Destiny 2. But uh, there have also been some reports I haven't seen as many, maybe because I haven't followed the game as closely that destiny two, it still might suffer from that. And there might be some technical reasons for why destiny, the thing can't just add a planet or something like that in a major way that would make it the size of battle for Azeroth in terms of a large expansion that connects to everything. I don't know that speculation. That could be one possible reason. The other possible reason, and I don't know, I don't have specifics on this either, but the terms of the deal between Activision and Bungie, you know, I, 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 I'm speculating that it could be something akin to Marvel and Netflix where those were, they had to be 13 episodes uh, those seasons. And so Netflix kind of threw Marvel under the bus one time. And they're like, yeah, some of our shows are a little long. Um, you notice a lot of our shows now are eight to 10 episodes, but sometimes we have to do what the contract says. <laughs> and then Marvel kind of fired back uh, with their own retort to that. We're like, well, yeah, I mean, Netflix has, a- anyway, it doesn't matter, but there could be something there where they need to do a numbered sequel because that deal was signed a long time ago, or they, or they need to deliver like a band sometimes X number of boxed products or albums over a 10 year span. Um, so that might be part of the reason. And then I think for call of duty, uh, I don't know if, Anyone, including people at Activision, expected Blackout to be as uh, great as it is. I, I think it was an, a late add to that game. It came together, it seemed really close to the end where they were talking, uh, not giving player counts. Initially, rumors were like 50 to 60 players only is all they could get working in the engine. Then it came out, I believe, with 80 in the beta. 
uh, and it was really choppy right before that beta came out. Then the beta came together, and now, of course, the release is out, and it's great. But I don't know if there was a bunch of confidence uh, at Activision. We're like, well, this is going to be the thing. Um, but maybe going forward, it will be, right? Maybe we witnessed the last numbered version, or maybe a year from now, Battle Royale is played out, right? And because they didn't invest as this, here's this platform, all your stuff's going to carry forward, carry forward. Activision suddenly seems very smart and they can release a box product that encapsulates whatever's hot, you know, a year or two from now when they're not, they didn't put all of their eggs into this battle Royale basket. I think, I think they're, they've positioned themselves smartly right now with battle Royale. And then Blizzard, They've been doing their own thing before they were part of Activision Blizzard, right? And and it's easy to say, oh, Overwatch isn't going to have a sequel. But what do people keep asking for? A Diablo sequel, right? Like uh, a StarCraft sequel, which I don't think we're going to get. But they're still they still dip their toes in that in that pool also. And I wouldn't be surprised if there is an Overwatch spinoff. I don't know what they'd call it, but something different. Uh, that uses that world and those characters that isn't just an add-on to that game because that game seems uh, pretty engine-locked as to what it is also. So I don't know. A time will tell, but I, I understand, I think, at least speculation-wise, you know, why these companies are doing what they're doing. Sure. Yeah. And you're right. It remains to be seen. I just think if Destiny is going to embrace its MMO-ness, which I think it it really at its heart wants to be, I think it would benefit from just sort of embracing that perpetual state and, you know, sell your expansion, sell, you know, get people invested in the game and, and keep them coming back and feeling like all the time that they put in isn't going to be wiped clean, uh, you know, two years later when the next numbered game comes out. But who knows? It's an interesting time for video games because a lot of that is clashing. That old school thought with the new school thought is really, really clashing. And Activision is a great example of that. Um, with several of their IPs, as we've noted. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on now. I do want to thank our first sponsor, which is a sponsor I'm very proud uh, on this show, the show about video games, the show hosted by by two dudes. Uh, we have a sponsor, Third Love, that is selling bras to women. And I love that they chose our show to do it because they know uh, that women listen to our show and that uh, guys who listen to our show tell women they know in their lives uh, about awesome products that they hear. And this is an awesome product. I told my wife about it. I know Christian, you told your wife about it. They both got third love bras. This is an amazing thing because the thing about bras that I had no idea about is that purchasing them can be uh, annoying. That Getting measured can be unfortunate, can be uh, uncomfortable and not fun. And third love has fixed this for a lot of people by having a what they call a fit finder quiz. It's just a, a few simple questions that you answer that lets them find your perfect fit. They say it's actually fun. It takes less than a minute. My wife did this. She said it was super easy and simple. Uh, and the cool thing is they have more sizes of bra than anybody in the world. <laughs> in fact, they just added 24 new sizes and they are now the industry leader, officially the industry leader with a total of 70 sizes. They innovated in this space because uh, there weren't half sizes and Third Love created half sizes for bras. They said 50% of women fall in between standard cup sizes. It's pretty amazing. Uh, like I said, my wife uh, got a couple of Third Love bras and she absolutely loves them. 
Uh, they have a fit guarantee. They guarantee a perfect fit. Returns and exchanges are free and easy. They have tagless labels for no itching. They have straps that won't slip. Uh, they have ultra soft smoothing fabrics. It's great. Like I said, I don't have any firsthand experience with this, but my wife loves it. Christian, I know your wife uh, got some third love bras as well. They're always the first one she packs when we go on trips. They were what she brought to New York. She absolutely loves them. Yeah. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering you listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. Well, we are not going to bury the lead. Uh, it's Red Dead Redemption 2 week. And uh, it came out on Friday. We're recording this Sunday evening. So Christian and I have not, I mean, this is a 50 plus hour just for the main campaign, a huge, massive world. Uh, Allegra, how much have you played of it? Uh, like <laughs> maybe two hours so far. I yeah, watched so you're my get... friend play for like another hour and a half, but listen, I'm busy, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get uh, early impressions. Of course, we'll talk more about this game next week and probably a lot of weeks to come as we end, you know, end the year. And this is one of the big releases of the year. Uh, but I think it'll be really an, an interesting discussion talking about our first impressions uh, with the caveat that there is a whole lot of game here that we have yet to uh, experience. But Allegra, what is your what are your feelings about Red Dead in the first few hours? Um, so I am typically not the kind of person who would play. I don't want to stereotype or generalize, but my taste generally is more like RPGs or you know Metal Gear Solid absurdity action mixed with weird philosophical nonsense and weird sad indie games like i'm not the kind of person who plays like a triple a game by rockstar ever like that's just not a thing i do like i don't really i'm not the super into that i played some of the original red dead i had a lot of fun riding horses into saloons and shooting everyone and dying but that was pretty much my experience um but this one something i really do love in all games is like a, a sense of cinematic aesthetic, like an, a real appreciation for the cinematography and the space and the design. And this is probably the most beautiful game I've ever seen. Um, I just finished the first chapter, which you guys know is set in the snow. You're trudging through. It's pretty, you know, they hold your hand, but I, I loved it. Like I loved just kind of being given the time and space to experience this beautiful snow covered like landscape, just everything just caked in so much snow and seeing the, the sky darken and just getting a real sense of the environment. I mean, I thought that was just wonderful. And I know a lot of the people I've spoken to who are more familiar with, you know, GTA and Red Dead and other rockstar games, they're like, oh, it's so slow in the beginning. It's just so slow. But I promise after like five hours or 10 hours, it'll be fun. And I'm like, no, I, I love the pace. Like I love just being able to take it in and really like put on that cinematic camera and just kind of stare and 
slowly work my way into knowing what I'm doing. Um, it's, it's been really fun. I I've been really enjoying looking at the world and meeting all the characters and shooting all these dudes and then having them shoot one of my gang members in the head and then having to start over a checkpoint, but we'll get past that part. So you're, you know, you started off your, your caveat at the beginning was that these aren't usually the kinds of games that you play. And my question is why, how did you come to, to start playing this one? Are, Are you just interested because it's kind of the game of the moment or is there something else that drew you in and let one made you want to give this game a shot? Um, so I, I definitely always like games with horses. (laughs) And there are lots of horses in this one. That's for sure. (laughs) There's lots of horses, but I'll use another game as sort of an example. So God of war is kind of the same thing. Like that is not a game I would ever, ever, ever want to play. I don't like these games that are like about hyper masculine dudes who are just like senselessly beating up monsters. Like that's not a thing for me, but God of war plays with our notions of conventional gaming uh, cinematography and what a game should look like and narrative design as depicted like visually um, how the story is told visually and how the gameplay plays into that. And I think God of War does a really great job with that. It's like, it feels as if it's just a handheld camera and it never cuts away. And with Red Dead from early impressions and from talking to people, it has that similar, very filmic quality of like, this is a, a game that's sort of about myth and sort of about the fallacy of myth making and, in creating that story, they're using one of the best media, you know, to convey stories. And I think, you know, that's film. Um, like there is such a, such an emphasis on looking at the thing and looking at the design of the thing. It's not just running in and shooting all the guys. Um, and that's, what's really intriguing to me. Like I'm very into like those more artsy games and, this sort of game marries that, I think, marries that sort of artistic quality with the very generally appealing, like, yeah, it's fun to shoot the gun. Um, and it's fun to ride the horse and it's fun to punch a dude into submission. I punched a wolf to death. Like, that's <laughs> absurd and very video gamey, but it also right. looked really good. And th- and that wolf shouldn't have said what it said, let's be honest. It was very rude. <laughs> uh I I think you are spot on and I is something that I've been thinking a lot about in my first few hours with this game as well that this is not a mainstream game. It is not it is wild to me that it is lives where it lives which is this massive budget, huge time span of, you know, it being worked on <laughs> Quick side note, I was doing the Totally Rad show, which was my first podcast in 2007. I think about a year into doing that show, we went to an event and this guy came up to me and said, hey man, I love your show. You can't tell anybody this, but I'm working on Red Dead Redemption 2. What? It was like 2008, <laughs> 2009, maybe something around there. Well, way, and- to, way to tell everybody. Yeah, I know, right? I finally came clean. I've been holding on to this secret for so long. Uh, so I have no, he's like, we were like, Oh my God, that's amazing. I I mean, I guess 
I made the time frame might be weird because when did when did the first one come out? It was like did right the after first the first one, one. The first one came out in like 2010. <laughs> so maybe it was right around there, 2010, 2011. Anyway, it was like early. I was <laughs> we like, doing wait, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm, clearly, I'm now I'm lying. But no, it was like it felt like really early on, and when we were doing the show, we started doing the show in 2007. So maybe it was like 2010, 2011. E- either way, it's been a long time. Uh, that's that's the point of the story is that I heard they were working on this game many years ago and then i sort of forgot about it anyway terrible anecdote uh <laughs> turns out no so but the 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 budget the time spent on this game where it lands as sort of all eyes on this game the tens out of tens that that a lot of sites are giving it this massive cultural footprint that it's that it's leaving in the snow of our time uh and yet it feels to me like a, uh, an indie game. It, it, it is a game that does not care about what you expect from it. <laughs> it doesn't care particularly about providing fun for you. It, 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 is, it is committed to a particular pace, particularly in the first few hours, that I think is probably pretty off-putting to a lot of mainstream gamers used to things like Fortnite, where it's like instant, instant, instant. I don't have to wait for anything. I'm into another game. Here I go. It is telling a story that is nuanced and slow and dense and historical. You know, it is kind of the opposite of like the bro gamer in so many ways because it, it, it is the story does not start with a bang. It doesn't present characters in very uh clear ways it is it is it's almost literary in its presentation it is a strange brew that if anybody other than rockstar was making in any uh level of presentation below what it's being presented in we would call it a sort of niche uh simulation game that was for a very narrow audience i think am i wrong what do you think hmm I mean, I think that's like, it's hard to say, right? Because obviously a game like this could not exist without Rockstar money because of its scope. Um, And I think later on, like I've, I was hanging out with a friend who was far, way farther along. It does start to feel a little bit more like your standard not standard, but like a more familiar open world kind of action game. But it is still very much about like the immersion and very much like pressing a button for every relevant action. And, um, you know, it's, it's not like giving you so many shortcuts to sort of break that. I mean, there's like fast travel and there's the dead eye and things like that. But I agree that there is this very fine attention to detail and nuance that is, <laughs> unlike a lot of the yeah bro gamery games and i like what you were saying about like we're used to the instant gratification of a Fortnite or you know call of duty or whatever other normal people play that isn't <laughs> a japanese game called animal crossing pocket camp or whatever because <laughs> right. that's all i know about um so this is definitely more of a slow burn that I think rewards the person who's willing to put up with the very, very niche esque beginning for sure. Yeah. And, and I think just the game sort of asks something of players that video games don't 
tend to do these mainstream games don't tend to do right now. You know, it, the, just the walking speed alone is very slow and the game is sort of asking you to take your time and not be so in a hurry. And, and, uh, that's a hard thing to get adjusted to. Even, you know, I, who sort of, you know, prides myself on playing a wide variety of things. I, I have a hard time now with my gaming time at more of a premium because I have kids. It's a hard thing to say, I'm going to just going to play this game and, and put up with how long everything takes Mm -hmm. and how committed to verisimilitude they are, how committed to, making you do all the things that you need to do to in the steps that it takes to do them. Right. A lot of games it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, loot a body. And I go, okay, well I'll run up to it, push B and I get the things and I'm going to keep running. And this game's like, no, you're going to have to like bend over and hold the guy's jacket open and search his coat pocket. And it's going to take a second. And one of the very, very first missions you're like going through this train and I'm a video gamer. So every person I kill, I'm like, I'm going to loot that person. And literally I failed the mission because I took too long looting people. And my companion like ran ahead and got shot. And the game's mm-hmm. like, nope, sorry. You're not allowed to loot people because that's not what a human being would do in this moment. That's what a game would do. And you're not <laughs> playing a game right now. You're playing the simulation of the wild west. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's just an adjustment that I had to make. Um, Christian, I want to throw it over to you, but before I do, uh, I, I intended to frame this entire discussion this way, and we started kind of – we got off on a little bit of a tangent before I was able to. So I want to read an email we got. This comes from Matthew Florence from Smithfield, Utah, who says, uh, I assume this week's podcast will have a bit of discussion of Red Dead Redemption. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts. As all the gaming websites posted their reviews, it sounded like this was the game of the generation. Once the game was released, I started seeing quite a bit of comments complaining that the game was slow, had poor controls, and ultimately wasn't fun to play. Maybe this is just the vocal minority, but it seems that most of these comments are coming from people who went into it truly expecting to fall in love, but came away disappointed. Gaming is in a pretty amazing place right now. Since I got back into gaming, I've played Uncharted 4, Horizon Zero Dawn, God of War, and Spider-Man. There's so many great options right now that I don't want to waste $60 and countless hours on a game that isn't enjoyable. I guess this is a long way of saying that I value the opinion of this podcast more than any other, and I'm looking forward to your candid thoughts. I thought that was a really lovely email, and I uh, take that responsibility seriously. So how would you respond, Christian, based on the first few hours of Red Dead Redemption 2? Yeah, my first comment would be keep listening to next week's show because we haven't, uh, you know, put tons of time into this game yet, unfortunately. For me, also, it's over now. Uh, I'm officially a basketball fan now. Um, oh, well, <laughs> ended. Baseball is dead to me. I hate baseball. Baseball is a dumb sport. Anybody who likes it is a big dumb dumb. The translation um, to that is Christian was not listening to anything we've, we've been saying for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> I was listening. That game had been over for a very long time. Oh, um, is it my time for story of the week? I think for me, what I would pick. <laughs> um, so, you know, the World Series took up a lot of my playtime uh, for Red Dead. Um, so I, I think I'm 10%. Especially when it goes 14 innings, right? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I think I'm 10% <laughs> through the story per the game's counter, whatever that means. Um, so keep listening. You know, don't rush out necessarily right now to buy this game. Uh but with that said, I think it is a masterpiece. I am absolutely blown away by this game at every turn. 
Um, the level of detail and care it feels like has been put into this world so far with even the smallest side characters in my gang having backstory or reason or um, character traits that are justified later with how they react to someone else. Um, even in the, the you know five hours or whatever it's been that I've played the game, situations that feels like I've stumbled into them, that maybe everybody has these. I don't think it's a spoiler because I don't know if it's happened to anyone else. But I happen to be in town, not on a mission, uh, and uncle is getting into an altercation and no, no prompt came up in my HUD to alert me. I was just strolling through town on my horse because I was doing something stupid. I was, I wonder if I can buy this thing. I just totally on a whim. I wanted to see if I could find something in town, like a real world thing in town. I wanted to go and investigate. And then uncle's in this altercation, no prompt on screen, nothing at all. I'm just walking and I hear his voice and I recognize it. And he calls out and he's like, Arthur, I need your help. And I'm like, what? And I turn, I'm like, and I think in my head, what are you doing here? And Arthur's like, uncle, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, game on. Here we go. And it was such a fun, cool moment where I don't know, had I gone around the back of town, would he have just been beat up? What happens then? Is it a prompt? Has everyone experienced that same moment? I don't know, but it felt cool and organic to me. And like you mentioned about the animations for looting a person, like I'm sure at some point at 80 hours, it'll get uh, overdone, but like skinning an animal, uh, he's bending down and skinning that animal. It's not really how it works. Does does the skin come off an animal? Like, I don't know. I'm uh, saying it's not, it's not uh, photo realistic, but it's far more realistic than. No, I agree. And like in Assassin's Creed goes the other way, right? With it, where it's like in Origins and Odyssey, it's just like loot. And it's like, bring, and you just walk over. Yeah, you don't like, have to break stride to, you know, harvest some right. wheat. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in, in in Red Dead, like if I get a carrot, he literally like bends down, pulls the carrot out of the, the soil, breaks off the part and throws away the, you know, the leafy bits. Like he, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. And 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 all of that stuff and the way the world seems to interact with itself and the number of hats I've lost already. Uh, oh, I know, so, dude. It's so annoying when I'm like, oh, I just realized I've been dr- wa- going around for like 10 minutes with no hat. No idea where my hat is. No, there should yeah. be a hat icon on your HUD at I don't all times. Think, I don't think you need – I don't think like being in the sun without a hat fatigues you more. Maybe it does, but I refuse to buy a hat. I picked <laughs> looks- up – it looks way less cool to not have a hat on, and I'm bummed that my hat is always on the ground somewhere. I, uh, I've i killed someone and taken their hat, and that felt good. <laughs> um, the killing part, not taking the hat part. It was the killing. No, um, but it was cool that I could do that. That was neat and interesting. Um, I, I, I really enjoy this game. Uh, all of that being said, and I think part of the reasons why I like it, I feel, and I said this to you, Jeff, um, this game does not seem to respect or care about your time. Uh, right. It, it's like when you're in camp, you got to walk through camp and Arthur's in no hurry. He's in no hurry. He saunters. He's a saunterer. He's he's walking like some games. Moses. I've heard. I don't know to what extent it works, but I've heard this game eventually unlocks a fast travel. Um, you have but, to you, buy it. The camp upgrade into it. Okay. Um, some games, you know, and I like those games too. They go the far other end of the spectrum where it's like game, super gamified. It's like, we know you wanted to zip around, jump around. You have an unlimited sprint, you know, don't worry about it. You're never going to get tired. And this is like, 
I not only have stamina, but I have my like the stamina wheel, like I would in Zelda, but I also have my stamina core, and that impacts the longevity of this, and it interacts with this, and eating this gives me more health, but takes away my stamina. And I don't know if all that stuff's going to get tiresome after a while, but I was very excited to get a brush and go brush my horse. Like that felt, that felt. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend the time and do this. I spent because- so much money on a pretty, pretty pony. Oh my god, <laughs> I really did. I, it was my first big purchase. I'm like 150 dollars, and this game's a lot. I'm, I'm buying a pretty pony. My first big purchases were bandoliers and a very nice uh, holster, and and I'm loaded up on ammo. Uh, but so much of the world, it seems like, is a real world. So it, it's like you want to do this thing and engage with it in that way. Um, the thing that that strikes me as odd uh, at this point, and I said this to you as well already, Jeff, uh, we're talking in person, we just started it, that this is maybe the biggest, most real lived in world that it is, but it isn't. Dare I say, isn't an RPG, right? Like Arthur is Arthur. Uh you, you can control what he does now to some extent, uh, whether you kill someone or let them go, but you're not creating a character. You're not putting yourself into this character. You don't get to name them. You don't get to uh, model them after you, choose Paragon or whatever. It's like, here's this character who, as the game starts, has already done a bunch of horrible things. Already done them. And now you're you're given the task of striking out as this character in this world and engaging with it in a way that it appears as if he wasn't forced to do those horrible things. That's who that character is. And so now as you play as that character, who are you, the player in this world, now experiencing it in Arthur's boots? And I find that fascinating. Well, yeah. I mean, I think think you're right. I find myself... And maybe the game opens up later. Again, caveat, caveat, caveat. But I find myself attempting to stay as close to what I believe the game intends for me to do as possible. I I find myself trying to not mess anything up. Like, I know this game has some wonderfully scripted cutscene progression that is going to tell me this incredibly nuanced story of the West. And my job is to move from cutscene to cutscene as, as, <laughs> as uh, efficiently and perfectly as possible so that I don't, it doesn't feel weird when I, the cutscene starts. Like so if, I'm kill- doing, if I'm doing something, I'm killing everybody. What is that to you? Well, I have the inability to try to be, to, to be dishonorable in a game, even though they're forcing me to, I, t- I tend to try to still be as honorable as possible. Like I don't, I don't knock people off of, cliffs when they're hanging by their fingertips. Uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't shoot a man in the back unless I, you know, that's, I'm forced to, I try to be honorable and there's honor. Like there's a whole honor system in the game. And I try to, you know, max my honor out. I don't like to run into trouble with the law. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm being the worst bad guy. imaginable. <laughs> so that feels like that goes contrary to the idea of cutscene to cutscene. Cause a lot of these interactions are, and I, I apologize to people that, think i should have this memorized i don't the the event that happens before the game starts black water black water wherever you were um like you know bad stuff happened there and arthur tells people that over and over again and i you know saved the fingertip guy assuming we're talking about the same thing that happens or maybe happens (laughs) i don't know um and he's like i'm not a good guy right i kill people like you this is what i do and so part of me feels like oh 
yeah, okay, next time I kill him. But I don't know how that unfolds going forward. Is, is having high honor and being able to buy things cheaper in the shops or whatever that ends up being later in the game, is that truly better from trying to min-max this video game than it is just to be the most wanted, hated outlaw in the world and I run into town and maybe then everybody just flees, right? Everybody leaves town and I just take whatever I want. It's And I think it's fascinating that I'm having these thoughts and it's not just like, oh, I want to go all blue or all red or whatever it is. This game feels layered in a way that um, a lot of other games don't. And I, and I don't know if in the long run that is going to be tiresome or rewarding, but five hours in or whatever it is, it's, um, it's very rewarding to me. I am much more conflicted about the game than it sounds like either of you guys are. Uh, I, and again, early days, I intend to keep playing. Uh, I, I should say I have never, loved a rockstar game. I really liked the first red dead redemption, mostly because I powered through that game, even though many, many times I wanted to stop. Uh, and the story is excellent, especially the end. It is one of the best endings to a video game ever. Uh, but there were plenty of times in that game. I was not having fun. And that is the case with every rockstar game I've ever played, where it's a large percentage of the time I spend with rockstar games. I'm not having fun. And, that is still the case here. Uh, it is, I think this game is the perfect exa- example of how we are all still able to be wowed by technology. That that we video games are still in a place as advanced as they are, where uh, the pure flexing of tech is enough to be like, oh my God, this is worth the experience. Because as you guys have enumerated, it is impressive on nearly every level. I mean, Allegra, you were talking about visually. There's a moment at the beginning of the game when you come down from the mountain and you're riding in formation with your with your bandits and you come down out of the mountain from this very snowy area to a sort of less snowy area and I had a moment where I thought, this looks real. This looks like video footage. This looks like th- – this looks absolutely photorealistic to me. And I, I've never felt that ab- about a game because most games, even the best-looking games, aren't attempting that. They're trying to create – a heightened reality or like the coolest looking thing with the coolest sunset and the most amazing, you know, uh, popping visual and the chromiest chrome and the, you know, the most dazzling effects. And that's cool. I dig that. I'm into that stuff. I like video games and I like how they wow me, but this game is doing something with its visual effects that is much more subtle. And that is, trying to recreate reality. I mean, the way light plays in this world, the way, uh, things are obscured the way the environment moves and, and, and is alive. It is absolutely photoreal in a way I've never seen before. And I, it's jaw dropping. It's staggering. The level of detail, the amount, the, the animations, the commitment to everything being how it may be, may have been at that time, uh, to a certain extent. And this, very dense world, this very, uh, you know, how you can literally talk to every single human being that you come across in some fashion, the, the, you know, the commitment to all of those systems working together, the, 
the restrictions it put on puts on you because that's how it may have been all of these simulation layer of getting tired of feeding your horse of feeding yourself of uh you know things getting dirty and it's like it's crazy it's crazy all this stuff i don't think a lot of that's fun i don't think it's particularly i don't think they care if it's fun i don't think they're trying for fun with a lot of that stuff it's has something else on its mind and that's admirable to me but it also makes me angry that here we are how many years after Grand Theft Auto 3 that it basically plays the same as Grand Theft Auto 3? I mean, the the shooting, they did improve in Grand Theft Auto 5, right? The shooting has been improved. And in Red Dead, first Red Dead Redemption, the shooting was a lot better. But it's the same mechanics. It's the same stupid little X. It's the same auto snap to shooting. It's the same clunky controls is the same having to hold down a to run or have my horse run. And they have literally not innovated on any of that. They've made slight tweaks and refinements that have improved it. Yes, I will grant them that, but there's no like hard look at any of those systems to go. This kind of isn't fun. This isn't actually the best way to do this. It's just the way we've been doing it for 15 years. I don't know if they haven't looked at those things. I don't know if they haven't looked at, you know, you were saying that they uh, had, hadn't really innovated much in terms of their controls or their combat or how you kind of interact and move around this world. And it's kind of been basically the same thing since Grand Theft Auto 3. And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to summarize a little bit. And, and, and I think maybe they have looked at that stuff. And I think they've decided that maybe that is the way they want to do it. And when you say it's not fun... Fun. That's a tricky word. I'm not going to argue what you find fun, but I think it it pulls you into the world, right? It's it's this approach of they're not making a video game, a gamey game. They're making a more of a world, and running uh, is taxing. Right. Keeping your horse going requires keeping your horse going, and their their goal isn't you know like some games. It's if you're you have your map up, you push B or whatever, and your car follows the map. And that's all you do. And then you get out and get there and you're just kind of like a looky-loo as you drive around this pretty environment. Um, And then there's like Metal Gear Solid 4 was one of the first examples for me that has really stuck with me where you're climbing through radiation and you're mashing on that button to keep going. And the idea of like it's you in that world, in that space as that character and it is uncomfortable and your thumb hurts. And of course, not the same as being exposed to radiation for a prolonged amount of time, but as a player of the game how can they pull you into that experience and i feel like that's what these controls the walking the running um it's easy to stay with your posse if you're just with a posse and keeping up with them but if you want to move around the world by itself then you have these other things you need to consider i think it's all things that are meant to make you feel as if you're part of this world so well, I won't necessarily say it's the most enjoyable way for me to play a video game i, I where i would take issue with you is is, is your assumption or or thesis that they haven't examined it and thought about whether there's a better way to do it and i also don't know if if they haven't innovated i think they did they did it so long ago that it's such a great system it's almost like if another batman game comes out i don't want them to do an entirely new combat mechanic they're the best at it keep doing that and i think rockstar to some extent has been the best at this moving around a world a real world and I want them to keep doing it and just improving it a little bit. And I don't want my six shooter to feel like my plasma rifle 
and Halo. It's uh, I wish my reticle not, was a little bigger, but that's because I'm old. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not suggesting that they need to make it feel like your plasma rifle in in Halo. And I, I am suggesting that uh, hard failing missions in in the way that they've been doing since the beginning. Uh, that um, you know a a mini map that is i feel like really outdated and poor it presents information in an inefficient poor way uh but the not, fact see, that i've thing. died many times because my dude just like didn't make it around the corner in a in a way <laughs> a video game was supposed to work you know is that is that you laughed like is that something that you've experienced i oh my god so i'm like still not super far in and i'm on this mission where we're fighting the O'Driscolls and I'm sending my gang in and it's always Bill Williamson getting shot and ruining the freaking right. mission. Right. But um, I just kind of wanted to bandwagon on what Christian was saying um, because my Metal Gear Solid 4, <laughs> my Metal Gear Solid ping went off. And <laughs> yeah, your, just, your spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> I'm a big Metal Gear Solid head. And I'm even going to point to Metal Gear Solid 3. And that's honestly one of the things I love about Metal Gear Solid is because is that they find space. I keep using that word, but they, they are able to remind you, Hey, like, yes, this is a video game, but it's also a story. We're also experimenting. Um, and in Metal Gear Solid three, there's that wonderful ladder scene. And it's just like real time, like, you know, naked snake is climbing up a ladder so slowly and there's nothing you can do. You have to go up that ladder, right? Like you can't, skip it. You can't fast travel up. You can't, there's no shortcut. And that is such a crucial and beautiful moment of that game because it is the sort of like forced time to reflect on what you've done and where you're going. And it builds tension because it's like you're climbing, you're climbing, you don't exactly know what's on the other side. And that's sort of how I feel with the pace of Red Dead right now. And even though that's not this, you know, sort of mainstream typical idea of what's fun. I find it very fun to see how Rockstar is playing with convention here. I think it's really like the fact that it starts out with this sort of grainy black and white montage of animals. And then it goes into this very, very slow kind of hard to read uh, series of title cards. Like it does really, it is fear. It does feel very jarring. And then you are very slowly walking for a long time to me that like discovering how they're playing with that is very fun. Um, so the idea of like, Oh, you know, because we're not, there's not as many like things to shoot and it, the, the missions aren't like, it's very much tutorialized. And I do totally agree with you with like the mini map doesn't present information super well. Like it does feel sort of obscured and like not necessarily trying to serve you the experience that you want. I think it's really cool to have to like sort of negotiate with the game itself of like, this is how it's supposed to be played. Like you literally have to press L2 to talk to Dutch or you can't, there's just nothing else you can do. Right. And if you're not paying attention when Dutch talks, you missed it. You missed it. Like for some of the, it's like around oh, back in the bend over there is where you're going to find this. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I answered a text while you were talking. All right, where do I go? Oh, Dutch, where do I, what do I do? Go on. <laughs> oh no. It, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but then one other thing to circle back to, but go ahead. 
Oh, no. <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, because, like, there's been a lot of talking in this game. And, I mean, I think that's a part of why it's slow, too. Like, um, because it's not, like, dedicated cutscenes in that same way. It sort of just slowly flows into cutscenes in and out. There's never really been a moment where I'm just, like, really forced to listen to what anyone so i miss a lot of little things like that too where like dutch is talking like what (laughs) i I have a i have a couple of things that i want to i want to i want to say about this okay and and let let me just say i am i am in awe of this game in many ways so i i am just kind of trying to play uh you know play off you guys and and push back on this stuff as much as i can but i respect where you're coming from and i think you, you make very good points i will say with regard to the metal gear solid thing in particular i think like it's one moment that the game works up to and that's why it works for me in in that context because i remember praising that stuff in that game uh but like this is constant right this is always happening this is the baseline for the game and then so it it, i think it, it lands differently for me but i take your point and i think it's a good one uh the the thing i would say is by way of example is there is a mission very early in the game where you have to go and collect some debts from people. And so what that entails is getting on your horse, going to a place and riding on your horse is, is, is cool, but mostly holding a constantly. Uh, but it is gorgeous. You know, you're seeing this inc- impeccably rendered wilderness. So there's joy in that. It's not exactly Spider-Man level traversal joy, but there's joy to it. Arriving at a place, getting off my horse, slowly walking in, uh, opening the door, having a conversation. That is a cutscene. That is cool, but you know it's a cutscene, not interactive. And then uh, pummeling a man by pushing B. Okay, I mean, there's no challenge, no difficulty. I'm just pushing B to punch a man until he says, uh, "Okay, I'll I'll give you anything in my my house that you want," and then. I proceed to walk around his house searching aimlessly for something by pushing a button, holding it down until the little circle fills, and then enduring a very lengthy animation sequence of opening a door. And once that door is open, then going, do you want to see what's inside? Yes, I do. Do you want to take what's inside? Yes, I do. Okay, that's not the thing you want. Keep looking. Okay, I'm going to go over the next cupboard. Open the cupboard. Uh, Here we go. Do you want to look at what's inside? <laughs> yes, I do. Do you want to take what's inside? Yes, I do. You know, it, and it is, that is the extent of the mission. You eventually find a ring and they're like, okay, you did it. You can go back and give the ring to the group at camp and you got, and so, so my point is none of that is, and, and I take your point, Christian, it's a very subjective term, but for me, fun. Also, and maybe more importantly, there's no skill in anything in this game, in my opinion. Some of the shooting, yes, perhaps, uh, you know, moving up to the headshot from a – or planning your – shower, telling your your uh, crew to go in a certain place or whatever. But at least where I have gotten in this game, there is no skill. There is literally just doing the next thing that I need to do in a sort of Simon Says way. And yeah, I have a lot of – agency and choice over what i can do from moment to moment but there's no like with assassin's creed odyssey the combat system is 
super challenging and fun and there's really powerful enemies and I'm I, it's my skill up against it. Yes, there's items and levels and stuff like that, that, that affects it, but I literally can get better at the combat system and I can get better at my stealth targets and I can level up and do cooler stuff. I don't see that in this game and I miss it. Uh, what do you think of that? Hmm. <laughs> Wait, I just want to say, so it's, um, 1145. I'm on the East coast. Oh, you right? gotta go. Okay. No, no. I'm just saying that like, it's late here. I, I have to admit, I am lying in my bed. And when you were kind of talking about this mission and how slow it was, I was like, oh, yes, I could see myself falling asleep to this can right now. It sounds I, like a great lullaby. Can I, can I come clean about something? Uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to say this, but Red Dead Redemption 2 is the first video game I've ever fallen asleep playing. <laughs> and... 70% of that is because I have two small children and get zero sleep. But 30% of that is because I hold down the A button for a lot of this game and just hold it down. And there was a moment in the early part of this game and I was playing very late and I had very little sleep. So yes, mostly on me, but because I had so little actual interaction with what was going on, I was literally just holding the A button to keep moving forward. I dozed off. So I'm I <laughs> mea culpa, but that is that is the truth. It's so funny to me because well, one that's just funny to me, and now I'm like, wait, maybe I should like use this as a sleeping pill. But <laughs> I am totally like engaged, and these kinds of games I are, are I find far more able to be engrossed by. Like I fall asleep during games all the time, honestly, (laughs) and it's really bad. Like the first time I played PUBG Mobile, just as a quick aside to like really point out how messed up I am. I played PUBG on my phone. I don't have an Xbox or PC. So I was like, okay, cool. I can finally play PUBG in my own house. Downloaded it on my phone. I was like, this is, I don't, I'm bored. Like I dropped onto the ground and I already was like, everyone's running. I don't like what my character's wearing or lack thereof. I'm just bored. And I literally just put my phone down and went to sleep. <laughs> and I didn't even close the game. I just... Went to <laughs> and then I woke up and it literally was just like, you you were like dead last and died. Like, and I was like, oh. You're like, what? It's <laughs> like, what? Oh yeah, this game's boring. And like, I fell asleep during Spider-Man the other day, which is a game I enjoy. Like, I just, I don't know. There's something about those kind of action games where it's so overwhelming and there's so much going on that like, I get exhausted by that versus, (laughs) versus a game like this or like, uh, I'm very weird. I know. Like I've told this PUBG story so many times and people are like, how do you do that? Like Spider-Man, you have to save the city. And you're like, I need a nap first. (laughs) Like Literally, I was playing Spider-Man the other day and I finished like the first boss battle and I was like, okay, time to go to bed. And it was like 830. (laughs) I was like, I'm tired. This is too much. I fall asleep during God of War. Like I don't see myself being able to fall asleep during this game because I'm always like, where am I going next? What's going on next? Like there's so much, where's my hat? Okay. I have to pick up my hat now. Oh, I have to (laughs) hitch my horse. I have to unhitch my horse. But like, there's just such an emphasis on this minutia that I find really fascinating. And I really like being able to sort of just take in the story at my own pace and just kind of move along. Like it feels uh, very literary as you guys were saying before, like, 
it does feel like reading a novel. And when I read, I often will like, well, I'll often fall asleep. But before I fall asleep, <laughs> I'll read the same page like a couple of times and just kind of really take the time to visualize what the author's writing or, you know, a scene or a dialogue or whatever. And that's how I'm feeling while playing this game so far. Well, I, I officially am reaching out to the audience for uh, I Fell Asleep During Video Game Stories because it sounds like we've touched a nerve. There's a bunch of people in the chat room. We're talking about games they fell asleep in front of. Uh, could 432 <laughs> says I fell asleep during one of the Call of Duties. I think Black Ops 2. So I officially want dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I officially want I Fell Asleep During Video Game Stories because uh, now I think we've touched a nerve. Uh, go ahead, Chris. So uh, I'm going to loop back to what you said, but I want to get this out before we get too far from the thread. One thing I think is also interesting and um, uh, impressive or interesting um, about this game is that how many games would start after Blackwater, right? So many games start, that'd be you tutorial. You're Samus, you're OP, you blow up everything. And then just as you think things are going your way, the dynamite explodes and things go sideways and you escape on your horse. You've lost everything and now you need to rebuild. You know, it starts you off with this big bombastic action scene where you run into town and bang, bang, bang. And that's what the game's going to be. Now we're going to reset you and tell the story. This game also, isn't it hilarious that this game is a prequel? I found myself going, we need a prequel to the prequel because like, it sounds like some interesting stuff happened already. Right. Right. This game starts you with everybody talking about this, absolutely wild action-packed people getting murdered left and right us barely making it out the feds chasing us we think we've lost them thing and you're like you're the guy that showed up to dinner half an hour late and everybody's laughing and then you walk in like you had to be there and then everybody's quiet for the next hour and you're like (laughs) man i think that's really interesting uh so i wanted to get that out before we move too far away from kind of how this game sets its tone my question to you jeff after listening to you talk about you know trying to put our guests to sleep (laughs) um i think it was could uh, also said this in the chat if this were vr i'd be curious to know your take on it and two i'm very surprised to hear you say the stuff about going to the house and turning it over uh and that kind of being boring or or not fun when you are such an advocate for handcrafted worlds and what this game is doing it, it is putting you in like you mentioned about the scenery and the environment a very air quote, but real uh, world uh, in this period. And you're walking around this person's house and you're not in a hurry, right? You're, you're, you're experiencing what this place is like. The wall people paper is peeling off the wall. This person is, was hard up for cash. They took a, a loan shark style deal and you're going there to beat them up. You had reservations about doing it in the first place, uh, but you're going to do it and you, you pummel them very quickly and you see the things in this person's house and what they have that you could possibly take from them to settle this debt. And there is nothing, there is nothing in there. You said for one thing that means so much to this person and you take it and you leave. And this is all built. This is, this is all telling you something, right? It's auteur driven. And to find that you are the person saying, oh, then I do that. It's like, I feel like it's an episode of Freaky Friday here, Jeff. I don't, swapped, I don't get we it. We swapped bodies somehow. Go Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> go Red Sox. Um, fair point. I will reiterate, lest it be forgotten, that I am absolutely astounded by the level of detail in this game. The level of detail in the world. I am constantly – I'm playing it on an Xbox One X in 4K. And the fact that this engine is able to stick to a 30 frames per second in 4K with the level of what's going on. I mean it is – 
stunning. And I, there are many times where I literally just stop my horse and pan the camera around and go, look at this. It looks real. It looks, and you're, yes, you're right. Everything is just lovingly rendered. Every house, every hovel, every storefront, everything just feels handcrafted. And I am amazed by that. I will say, and this is more about me than anything else. I, I like brownies. <laughs> I have never, <laughs> yeah, I love them. Uh, I have never fantasized about living in the old West. That's just me. Just never been one of those things. I, I always fantasized about the future or, you know, uh, what, whatever, I, I, f- uh, fantasy, like Tolkien fantasy, those spark my imagination more than the, the West does. So, so that may play into it a little bit more that I'm not like loving just wandering around the old West, imagining being dirty and I don't know, <laughs> riding a horse. It's just, it just, everything seems dirty in the West. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, so there's that. Okay. Great. But I do love, you know, Sergio Leone movies and, uh, this, I mean, the soundtrack in this is very uh, Enzio Marconi. It's very like l- reminiscent of that stuff. All that stuff is cool. So I'm, you know, and I love the story. I love the first Red Dead. I raved about the story of the first Red Dead, even though there's large section that doesn't need to be in the game. But um, <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm in for the story. I would watch this as like a fully rendered. That's what I was going to ask. Are you going to watch movie, CJ are you, movie? Are you going to watch yeah. the two hour YouTube version and not play it? No. I, I want to play it. I do want to play it. And and again, maybe it will win me over more as it opens up and more stuff happens. I just, uh, I stand by, I mean, and, and to answer this email that I read where he's like, you know, I got all these other things is $60. I, I, I'm very conflicted about this because it does feel like this seminal work. It does feel like as a video game, it is doing things that no one's, attempted mostly because people don't have the money to attempt. Like you aren't able to make games of this level of detail because it's just wasting resources. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, just... this, this game was in development through three of your podcasts, you know, like that's <laughs> <It's> uh... <laughs> true. Yeah. And, and I mean the, the, the time they spend just like getting tiny little details, right? Like you're talking about, you know, skinning different animals and, uh, how stuff fits, you know, in, in your bag and like every little thing has an animation. It is, it's, it's remarkable, right? You can't make that without infinite money, which Rockstar seems to have and time and on all these things where you only make one game a decade or whatever it is. So like, these are big games, but, and it's a big deal to, and it's impressive to see, but I also feel like as somebody whose game time is more precious than it's ever been with kids and, you know, and, and I'm, I feel like I am more pressed. I want stuff to move forward more. I have a hard time embracing the pace that this game requests of me. And I think Allegra has stated explicitly, and I think you agree, Christian, that for you guys, that is an asset. That's like one of the, the things that's magical about this game is, is that it's working at a pace that no other game works at. For me, I, I think, and I think other people who are like, is this really a great game? A game I have to play? I think that is something you really need to understand going in. Like you are, especially the first few hours, it feels different than any other game you've ever played. It feels slow and it feels methodical and plodding. And you may love it and you may not. So that's mm. all. 
I just want to reiterate, though, I'm only like two hours in and I did punch a wolf. So. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. All right. Well, we've talked a lot about Red Dead Redemption 2, and uh, we will talk a lot more about it, I'm sure, uh, as we continue to play it over the coming weeks. Um, let me thank our second sponsor, which is Cashfly. Um Calling all game developers, publishers, and e-game experts. Are you taking advantage of a content delivery network to supercharge your game's experience? Whether you're looking to grow your current player base or launch a new game, trust Cashfly's global AnyCast network to provide the performance you need without sacrificing security. Get the benefits of a global content delivery infrastructure without having to worry about server crashes and download failures. Since 2009, Cashfly's solid 100% uptime SLA allows our listeners to tune in to our shows every week fast and easy. Give your players the same great experience. Don't lose players to slow game downloads. Cashfly guarantees the quickest data transfer possible for all your players, regardless of location or internet speed. With instant scaling, players don't experience lags or glitches when your game's traffic surges. Turn casual players into loyal fans with fast game downloads and a seamless gaming experience from New York City to Hong Kong with Cashfly. Having a content delivery network supercharger game doesn't have to be expensive. Your traffic changes through the year, but your CDN bill doesn't have to. Effortlessly scale as your game grows without worrying about high CDN bills with custom pricing plans from Cashfly. Receive a free custom CDN plan tailored to your game's delivery needs. Our offer ends September 30... Whoop. Nope. Not going to say that. (laughs) hilarious Uh, i'm gonna do that again we'll edit it in post receive a free custom cdm plan tailored to your game's delivery needs learn more at dlc.cashfly.com all right guys uh we have been going it is late where allegra is let's wrap the show up now we do have a parting gift coming up so stick around for that but allegra frank thank you so much for being here it has been a delight talking to you Thank you. Thank you for also giving me some good fodder for falling asleep. I'm going to see if I can find someone narrating their Red Dead experience of just <laughs> pressing button after button after button and opening every cupboard in a house. I'm going to pretend like it wasn't me that's boring, but the game. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you for being very boring as always. <laughs> uh, tell people where they can follow you and your work online. Um. I am at Legs Frank on the Twitter. Uh, I work at Polygon.com. As you mentioned, I'm news editor there. So I'm mostly doing news, but reviews and impressions and weird semi-funny things that maybe I only find funny, but you'll find my weird content and you'll know it's me. Um, I'm also one of several hosts, one of four hosts on the Polygon show, which, which is, is out excellent. every Friday. I love it. It's a very oh. good show. I, I was like, are you are you going to continue the compliment? <laughs> Excellent um, and also very good and also great. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then I am also a co-host of The History of Fun, which actually season two launches tomorrow, October 29th. And you can look forward to that every Monday. Um, so, yeah, I'm all over the place, I guess. Fantastic. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Uh, getting behind the Houston Rockets, Houston Rockets, Houston Rockets, throwing my hat into that official ring. Um, so the Los Angeles team has failed. So now you're rooting for a Houston team. Well, that's my understanding. Born and raised in Houston, and I, mm-hmm. I think the Lakers are actually going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to come together. But uh, I, I do like the Rockets, even though I sometimes I think Carmelo is uh, chemistry poison for a team. But I hope that's not right. 
Uh, but I'm saying is, I don't know what baseball is. I've never heard of it, and I never liked it, nor did I ever root for a team that would play it. Um, Twitter, at Spicer, and then uh, Twitch, which pretty much is just this show. I'm trying to find more time to do it, but I'm I'm bad at it. But this show, every week, 7.15 p.m., you can hang live with us. It's twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And then if you want to hang out on Instagram, it's Christian underscore Spicer. I'm also on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do the Slash Filmcast. If you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, head over to SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, fun stuff over there. I think this week we're doing uh, The Old Man and the Gun and something else. Uh, so st- go, you'll find it. It'll be good. It'll be fun. I'm just going to trade you back a compliment, Jeff, because Slash Filmcast is very good. Oh, thank you. And feel free yeah. to continue. no i'm done oh fair enough fair (laughs) enough uh all right uh let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts allegra do you have a suggestion of something that might not be a video game that can get people through their week who boy okay i always have really weird things for questions like this. Um, so here's, here's my really weird suggestion for this week, you guys. Excited. I am a big fan of sandwiches. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving this already. Lately, I, lately I've been experimenting. My bodega, they got a lot of options. I like to go crazy. I put avocado. I put egg whites. I put peppers. I, I just put whatever I feel like eating on the sandwich. But lately... Lately, I've been wanting to kind of just pare it down, go to the essentials. So what I recommend for all of you guys is to buy a nice jar of very chunky peanut butter. Mm. Organic. You got to stir it. I don't believe in that GIF stuff. That's wrong. You have to stir it. It has to have like a a layer of oil when you open the lid. Exactly. It has to be messy. You have to wash your hands at least five times while you're doing this. (laughs) Um, And I want you to put some toast in the toaster or excuse me, pre-toast, aka bread, put that in the toaster until it gets really dark. And then just put that chunky peanut butter on there. And you know what? It is a delicious meal. I am very, very into solely just peanut butter. Don't put any of that jam business on there. Nothing. Bread with peanut butter on it. Like it was a, (laughs) it was some sort of discovery that you've made. Listen, I used to eat these twice a day. I took a sabbatical. We're back. <laughs> I love semester. You started up by saying I've got. I put some weird stuff on sandwiches. Uh, get ready, and then you went with bread and peanut butter. <laughs> it's very okay. chunky. Okay, fair enough. I love it. I love it. No, I love it. Uh, bread That's and peanut butter. Suggestion. I'm doing it. I'm gonna have some right after we get done. Um, <laughs> Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? Well, I mean, it's in theme. I don't know. I um, mean, yeah, Jeff, you. I know you know this that like I love. Um, like great whiskey or incredible wines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, constantly I, drinking. That's you. Well, I just love like, you know, like a nice handcraft beverage. It, you know, I will just, I will just try whatever. You know, if there's like a great bartender that has really a good special specialty, I, I've been known. But lately, tap water. I don't know <laughs> if it's Jeff. Um. Mine would be as it is still spooky season for a couple of days. If you haven't seen it, a lot of people have, but I finally got around to seeing Halloween 2018 
and I loved it. I thought it was really well done. Jamie Lee Curtis is incredible in it. The way that they, you know, retcon or, or just take off, start again as if it was Halloween one and now it's Halloween 2018. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And I, I get to drive past the OG Halloween house very often. So it was cool to, uh, even though this new one they filmed in a different part of the country, but, uh, go, go watch some spooky movies. And if you haven't seen Halloween 2018, put it on your, put it on your list. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. And it's weird because in that movie with her hairstyle, the way it is, Jamie Lee Curtis looks like my mom right now. Like, <laughs> they look very similar. It's really weird. So it's like seeing my mom fight Michael Myers, which is, you know, cool. Uh, we have a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com where you can send your, uh, your parting gifts. This comes from Gord. He says he's from Southern Ontario, Canada. He says, uh, with the release of the movie in December, I would like to suggest the Mortal Engines book series by Philip Reeve. The entire series is, is flat out amazing and would be a great primer before the movie comes out. The audiobooks are narrated by Barnaby Edwards, whom gives a nice touch to the characters. Thank you for keeping me entertained at my job. Oh, thanks, Gord. Uh, I have not read any of the Mortal Engines. Have, have any of you guys read Mortal Engines? No, but Barnaby Edwards is definitely not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a some some English child's toy that came to life. <laughs> I'm Barnaby Edwards. Uh, anyway, um, thank you for that. My parting gift is, um, I have to be honest, it was sent to me uh, by a company. Um, it's Satisfy, uh, and it is a a case and holder for my Switch. I'm playing a bunch of Switch uh, for a game that we're not allowed to talk about yet, but we will next week. And it's Diablo. It's Diablo. Um, but whoa, um, whoa, I, whoa. I, no, I, we, I can't. We can't review it, but whatever. Um, and uh, they come with uh, this thing that you slide your Switch in, and it, it like adds a grip for your hands, for like adult hands, because the Switch is made for you know child hands. Uh, and I love it. It's great. I love it. I mean, obviously, it's prevents you from being able to slide it back into its charger. So you have to take it back out, but it, it slides into this thing very quickly and easily. I'm digging it. So satisfied did send it to me. So I have to be honest about that. They did send it to me to get my opinion on it, but um, I'm digging it. And it, it it's, uh, I don't know how much it costs to be honest with you, but I dig it. Uh, and uh, I like, I didn't know I needed it. Right. I wouldn't have probably bought it for myself, but I'm really glad I got it because uh, it really makes playing your switch very much more comfortable because there's actually something in your palm when you're playing it, you know, to, to grab onto. So very cool. And it's like a whole bracing system that you slide your whole switch into. So very cool. Uh, and again, it's uh, S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E, Satisfy. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Allegra Frank and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making the bumpers. Thanks to all the folks in our chat room for hanging out with us in real time and making the show better. And thank you to you for downloading the show and listening. Hope you vote. Please vote. Be a voter. Make a plan. Uh, We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.